everyone. Welcome to... Life is... Difficult. Wow. Not bad. We've gotten better. We've really... Marginally. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I literally just thought I almost flipped the table and it didn't even move, so... My psychic abilities have grown exponentially. It's going well. Gary 2.0. Gary. (gasps) Gary! Still spelled like Carrie. Though. Plug it up. They just throw butt plugs at me in the, <laughs> the locker room. You're still in the girls' locker room. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sick. I can't laugh like this. Okay. Well, go. Oh. That's a gnarly case of the swine flu. Remember that? 2012 or whatever that <laughs> epidemic struck? Oh my god, my side, my back. Your, <laughs> your pussy. pussy. <laughs> your crack. <laughs> Every fucking time. Oh, never gets old, does it? <laughs> well, how's everybody doing? I am doing swimmingly. <laughs> so it would seem. Sickness always makes you feel down. Oh, yeah. For when sure. you can't, like, leave or do anything. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, Anne is sick and depressed, and that's why we missed last week. (coughs) Should we miss this week? Should we just cancel the entire show? Yeah. Uh, Oh, no, I'm okay. Okay. I'll survive. Just don't laugh. Okay, we can't be funny during this episode. This is going to be an incredibly serious... This is going to be an incredibly serious, melancholy, dramatic episode. (laughs) So, everyone... Get your dramatic voices on, put on your serious face, um, and don't fucking laugh, because this isn't funny. Whatever Anne is talking about, I'm sure it's very serious. And not funny. No. Demonic possession is never funny. (laughs) So, Anne, what do you have for us tonight? The origin story of Pennywise. (gasps) What? Well, at least it has a killer clown in it. Oh. 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 Well. And demons. Oh. And the Catholic Church. But they're not the clowns this time. I was really close to guessing John Wayne Gacy for half a second. Oh, yeah. A little bit. The church is close. Anyway. Yeah. Ready to go on a journey? I'm ready to go on a journey. I am. It's about 50 miles south from here, and it's a place called Union, Missouri. Ew. (laughs) Yeah. Union, Missouri. It's the location of our story. And it's your typical small town. It's awful. <laughs> Just kidding. No. Apparently you're not. Like, <laughs> apparently it's like most small rural American towns. Not thriving, but making do, according to our protagonist, Stephen Lachance. Ooh, that name. I know, it's a good name. Union wasn't his initial endgame, but like most small towners, he just didn't escape and he grew to love its charms. Someone has to. Yeah. It's where he grew up, worked, and raised his children. So Stephen wanted to work hard to provide and create a wonderful and lasting memories 
amid rapid change, hurt, and grief. Two years before a harsh divorce, his sister passed. Seeing his children and family brought memories of her words, the dreams of most umbilical siblings, to grow old and see a lasting relationship between cousins. The passing led into the trauma of divorce and a mother who felt she needed freedom to explore herself. Uh, she told him that it would just be best if she left. She oh. Knew. <laughs> Did it take children. much convincing? No, yeah, he was pretty, he was very upset about it. Oh, God. For years and years, and of course the children um, were upset too. When they first got divorced, she was around a lot, but then as the years passed, she just, she just didn't come around. Yeah, that's sad. Yeah. So, so she told him it was best, and, <coughs> but it left a devastating relationship with her three children, that by the time they were ready for more space and a change of scenery, the relationship with her children had practically disintegrated. After a few unfortunate living situation and a near miss with a flood that put Union in a state of emergency, things were looking up. So I'm going to read you the ad for oh. the house that they thought was the answer to all their prayers. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Three-bedroom house for rent in Union, full in-town living, near most schools, and the city park. I love, I love <laughs> most near schools. most schools, <laughs> including the one at home. <laughs> Primarily that one. It's perfect for families. It's got a full country kitchen with up-to-date amenities, large living and dining room with original woodwork intact, two bedrooms with a mudroom. Ooh. I said bedrooms, but I meant bathrooms. <laughs> I don't know what you're saying. Huh? <laughs> if you need a mudroom in your bedroom, but... Getting down on, the, on the farm. <laughs> <laughs> so two bathrooms with mudroom. Full basement. <laughs> basement. Full basement. Full basement. Pulling a little chair. <laughs> basement with fruit cellar attached. Large front porch and backyard, perfect for children. The right house at the right price for the right family. If interested, please contact. See, do you just keep the children in the backyard? <laughs> no, you keep them in the fruit cellar. <laughs> They're you. <laughs> or in the mudroom. <laughs> so many options. I know. See, okay, wait. I'm woefully uneducated on what a full country kitchen means. Is it just lots of chicken decor? <laughs> it's lots of old men playing banjos. You know, I'm thinking it's like the traditional, like, 1930s farmhouse type kitchen. Okay. I don't know for sure. Lots of chicken decor. Yeah. <laughs> Gingham. Yeah. So, corporate trainer Steve Lachance and his three children were nursing aching wounds. A fresh start was vital. The dust was settling and things were getting better with Stephen rented a multi-story home from a local property management firm. The transaction between him and the man who was speaking at the property felt off. They spoke to him of a beautiful historic home. Three bedrooms for an unbelievable price of 600 And as luck would have it, in an open house that very Sunday. He prepared himself for a Cracker Jacks box because three bedrooms oh, for no. $600 anywhere is a hell of a deal. But decided to go to the showing because they needed it. Yeah. Leaving the two boys with his parents. I was reading in the book that I guess he would leave the kids with the two boys anyway. With the parents. Because when he would go to apartment listings or condo listings with the boys and his daughter. 
people would be like, fuck off. <laughs> oh, I don't wow. want your damn kids. Oh my god. But like, if they were like, sight unseen, <laughs> and it looked like just him and his daughter, that was like, somehow better. I don't know why I'm also imagining, like, the thing off about this man renting out the property is just that he was speaking in a really weird accent the whole time and had, like, a fake mustache <laughs> on. Well, funny you say that because he goes really into detail about the eclectic look of this man, and I didn't really go into it in my speech, but apparently he wears pastel colors and wigs. He's a man in Okay, black. so he may have been me. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> He's a man in pastel, and his as name opposed to man in black. <laughs> and is name? Carl Winters. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> his name is Mr. Winters. Ooh, love it. Yeah. So he left those two boys at home so he wouldn't get eaten. Lydia and him headed off and arrived almost 30 minutes prior to the showing. They like to be punctual. Trying to uh, ensure they snagged the home, they wanted to be there first. The home was a classic. Not long after arriving, he was greeted by the eccentric owner who gave a grand tour speaking of history, amenities, and restoration plans. Count Olaf. Yes. Count Olaf Winters. (laughs) (laughs) Inside, painted cherubs floating on fluffy clouds bordered the tops of the wall and beautiful woodwork, all, all original. It captivated them. The outside was clean, white, with a fitting porch and large yard, and after being cramped in an apartment with his two sons and daughter, the angels decorating the wall seemed like a sign. Mr. Carl Winters, the owner, began to hand over the application. Do you understand the responsibility that comes with living in an old house such as this? Not fully getting the underlying meaning, he said, sure. (laughs) (laughs) I love this guy already. Yeah. They left with fingers crossed. The property was theirs. I cannot speak today. That's okay. Yeah. So that night began a sort of taste test for what was to come. The youngest Matthew woke up startled. He thought he saw a man standing in his corner. Alarmed, he rushed to his father's room and explained what he saw, and he reassured him by taking on an extensive tour of the house and the apartment to show him it was empty. He led him back to his bedroom so he could sleep with him that night and he wouldn't be scared anymore. He went to get himself a glass of water before he settled back into bed. Upon entering the room, out of the corner of his eye, he saw a shadow of a man dash past the entryway. Momentarily startled, he lapsed into laughter. His son's nightmare seeped into his foggy reality. That night he dreamed of a man, much like the one the boy described. Look at me, it pleaded. Stephen tried a game of resistance, but it pushed on. See me. It spoke with a growing assertion, and it spread fear like rapid fire. He asked God to help. He was stuck in this bizarre state. The man grew weary and said, There's no God, by your own admission. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Literally, he just said, Bitch! <laughs> really, bitch? There's no God, by your own admission. The internal debate roared on while he fought to break the paralysis. The man persisted. No God, only me. At that, the dream broke, and he rose rapidly in bed. No man remained, and he chalked it up to a nightmare. It wasn't menacing at all. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. There was nothing. No kind of premonition. It was just a nice discussion between friends. It was just a paralysis demon. Yeah. I mean, mean, we all three are those things, so (laughs) perhaps we're a little biased on what is and what is not (laughs) a fucking scary thing. 
So the next day, Mr. Winters called. He informed him they would meet at a local restaurant the next evening to sign paperwork. A bit upset at not seeing the house, he asked to meet there instead. Flustered, Mr. Winter said it was impossible for him to be at the house in the evening. He talked it up to last-minute repairs. He agreed. Uh, at night? No, ma'am. That is literally just something mobsters do. <laughs> and people who are selling drugs. They're like, can you please do the electricity for this house completely at night? Thank you. I'll pay you extra. That's what fucking mobsters do. <laughs> So when it was time to sign the paperwork, a very late Carl Winter showed up apologetic, distressed, and in need for dinner. Stephen waited patiently while Mr. Renders shoved down a burger. (laughs) Where? (laughs) Right down his ass. (laughs) I think it even said like his wig was slipping while he ate the burger because he was like totally distressed. Okay, (laughs) this may actually be me. Many a time have I tried to eat a burger and my wig slipped off. <laughs> you gotta eat going to the Starbucks because your wig was slipping. <laughs> so he informed Stephen at 2 o'clock on Thursday they'd be doing a several hour tour and a thorough walkthrough of the home. Stephen informed him that 2 o'clock was impossible, but 6 o'clock was a done deal right after work. Mr. Winter showed a good deal of stress, but reluctantly agreed. Fine, fine. But I can't be there after dark. Too many errands. Uh, are you a fucking werewolf businessman? Creepy. (laughs) Fucking creep. So the night of the showing resulted in similar events. Mr. Winters was incredibly late. He did a rush showing, and before departing, he asked Stephen if he believed in ghosts. No, he replied. Mr. Winters nodded. Just so you know, some people believe it is. (laughs) They can't stand living in an old home. They had a light laugh and he rushed away before the last big sunlight was licked up. I love that. I hate it. (laughs) In a good way. It's really good. I'm just like creeped. (laughs) The night before the move wielded bizarre dreams, but it led into a joyous moment everyone was excited for. The children were amazed at the home and space when arriving on move-in day. It began to sour when a passerby shouted, Hope you get along with them. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh. Everyone else knows something. <laughs> yeah. I would hate... I, see, this wouldn't even, like, freak me out. It just made me angry. Like, just fucking tell me already. <laughs> well, I just think it was funny because in the book, Steve, his daughter is like, The fuck? <laughs> And he's like, they're just friendly. <laughs> I'm like, ominous. How did you get friendly from that? But okay. <laughs> so it wouldn't be long that that confusion came to total understanding. He felt the first day was fairly uneventful. The oldest daughter, Lydia, was grateful for the space to spread her wings. She was 11 and excited to have ample space dedicated to her. And it was separate from her brother's. Hell yeah. Matthew is 10 and Michael 11. We're also glad for the open space to run and be adventurous kids. Something hard to explore compared to the cramped apartment living. This move was emotional and vital for them all. Stephen worked hard to make their rental space a warm home, but other forces began to interfere and mold with their idyllic home. Lydia decided a painting with two angels was fitting with the angel boarded living room. Try as he may, each time the picture was hung, it crashed back down. Uh-oh. <laughs> when? Because that would be hella awful at night. No, it was like during the day when they first moved in. He well, just said it was weird. Okay, so if it's during the day, it's just weird. Yeah. <laughs> at night, it's horrifying. So, walking on, Lydia called for her dad to join her in a fun game she discovered. 
For ages, they watched people cross the streets to avoid their house, and then and them whenever they shouted friendly greetings to new neighbors. They thought it was funny, odd but funny. So they would be like, hey, neighbor, and they'd just be like, fuck off. And they literally crossed the street. I'm getting a glimpse into my future. <laughs> yeah. Your house isn't even hotter. People are just fucking scared of you. Yeah, it's true. That's my goal. That's how I know I've made it. <laughs> they're like, where that bitch with the eyebrows going? Who's this fucking cretin? With just the like, eyebrows? Without the eyebrows and the mullet. Uh, yes. So the house settled into a routine. On Sundays, the kids went to church with the grandparents. Stephen dozed until the kids arrived home. They made plans to do much-needed yard work when they arrived. Stephen sends Michael and Matthew to the basement to retrieve the garden hose to work on landscaping. Michael comes back up to work on another task, and Matthew is left to his own devices. He sees the garden hose tossed just past the stair's edge and hesitates at the last step. Something is off. Being brave, he steps off, grabs the hose, mumbling, and turns back up to go upstairs. A disturbance in the air sets Michael on edge. He senses a presence behind him. He makes his way to the steps and then bolts in a run, his scream growing but not loud enough to block out the presence matching him step for step. He alerts his father and siblings that something chased him. A monster, he says. They chalk it up to unease in an old home. Who wasn't a little on edge in their unfinished damp basement as a kid? <laughs> oh no, I still run up the stairs. Yeah. yeah. You and turn you know, the light off and you run. That mm-hmm. reminds me, um, Ed Kemper has a whole anecdote about being terrified of his basement as a kid. And as he would go, and his mom, I think, would always make him go down. And he would just descend the steps and like keep his hands on the walls as he went down. And would just feel along the wall the whole time. And he like goes into great detail about how horrifying that experience was for him so if that can scare ed kemper at any age then i think that's just horrifying for like normal people normally yeah still scares the shit out of me oh yeah no yeah thank you i don't like basements for the most part no man i don't like any staircase i run the fuck up you do (laughs) i can't run up a staircase i have to hold my boobs oh well better that than holding a knife in your neck (laughs) when the killer grabs you and yanks you back downstairs sweet release (laughs) so his father tries to coax him to follow but Michael refuses the father senses nor sees anything grabs the hose and reassures Michael it's safe Michael stands his ground the rest of the day is a wonderful day of family bonding followed up with Taco Bell Hell yeah. Okay, then that was a good day. Relatable. While awaiting the remainder of their new furniture, the two boys camp out in their father's bed. Lydia usually joins them so they can all enjoy some family bonding, watching movies and TV until bed. Michael's fears are growing instead of subsiding, and while preparing for bed, he wanders the hall to the restroom, only to come face to face with the same bizarre figure from the basement. Uh Uh-oh. He runs back to his dad and his father comforts him assuming it's emotional stress from the move. The kids begin to tease him, but he still doesn't relent. What chase do they urge? A clown. A monster clown came after me. Oh, Oh, hell no! (laughs) (laughs) The children burst into laughter. Not long after, the family began to get their own taste of bitter medicine. After coming home from a nice visit with the family, they pulled up to their quaint home to see every light burning bright in home. 
Momentarily upset, Stephen asked the kids why they didn't turn the lights off, but it felt too off. This wasn't the first time this happened. He feared a burglary may have or was in the process of taking place. He went in and ensured all doors and windows remained shut and locked tight. His thoughts filtered to the landlord. He told his kids to get ready for bed when he made the call. He confronted him over the phone about the lights. He insisted he would never enter the home without consent. He had to give a 24-hour notice at most. He had not been to the home that evening, and he convinced them the lights were probably left on when they left. They just didn't notice it with it being daylight. You're the one who was all weird about ghosts. Who they ghosts. Call Mr. Winters? Yeah. Well, you know he was, like, laying on a fucking, in his bathtub yeah. with his wig half off. <laughs> with a face mask on going, girl, cucumber I told you. One cucumber slice removed just so no, he could see the I phone. can't wait till you get to the end when you hear what Mentors has to say about all the shit that goes down. Oh, my God. It's hilarious. He was the fucking clown. Mentors is an icon, out. to be he honest. Is. I'm just imagining him what being a queen. Yes. Literally. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Lachance was a little fucking unsure, but agreed, uh, because it seemed like the only sensible answer. He apologized and ended the call. Once he hangs up, he starts his own journey to prepare for bed and feels discomfort. A chill that turns electric. It passed through him and dissipates as suddenly as it arrived. Unaware of how to process it, he finishes his own task of turning in for the night. Soon everyone would feel the charge. It would originate through the base of the neck and spike through everyone. Alarmed, Stephen asked his father, a general contractor, to come and inspect the wiring. He was hoping for a logical answer to the odd sensation, but he couldn't find the source of any electrical malfunction. In the paranormal field, it's believed that when they ex- experience this, it occurs because the location is near a portal to the other side. I love that. While investigating the breaker box in the basement, they concluded it was all relatively new and couldn't send shocks of any type in the basement or throughout the house. While investigating, they did discover a butcher shower, which coincidentally was the fruit thing. (laughs) (laughs) So they discover a butcher shower, sink, and cutting cutting platform. His father explained it's a turn-of-the-century purpose. After dissecting... Oh, they're just cutting fruit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, after dissecting and gathering edible fruits (laughs) from a carcass, they could could step to the side and cleanse themselves of um, blood and seeds and debris from the slaughter. (laughs) Seeds! Blood and seeds. Yeah! Looks like the inside of a fig. (laughs) Wonderful. Who can use a bloody basement shower? Oh. Yeah. Well, I don't know about you guys. I know. <laughs> but I need oh, one we're, of those. We were talking about a blood facial. There you go. Oh, yeah. The nice feature of a downstairs bath isn't always a plus, huh? <laughs> this is a hell bath. <laughs> Literally. That's so creepy. After the inspection, Stephen and his father were hanging out, chatting with the kids and catching up when loud bangs rang out overhead. I just imagine someone goes down to this, like, butcher shower, and it's, like, horrifying, and it's, like, got, like, the curtain and everything, and they turn the corner, and there's just a dildo stuck on the wall. <laughs> well, that might be a little foreshadowing. Oh, oh no! Um, what have I done? <laughs> it's meant to be a lighthearted joke. Well. <laughs> About dildos and showers. Dildo jokes are never lighthearted when it comes to demonic possession. <laughs> 
So maybe you should think about that next time, Alex. Before you make an insensitive fucking joke. <laughs> Bitch. Yeah. So yeah, loud bangs rang out overhead. Stephen said it was probably falling boxes. It happened a few more times, and then his father I... experiences... He makes excuses for everything. Yeah, he really didn't believe in anything. Well, from where, though? Where are the boxes falling from? But you know how skeptical people can be. A ghost could come up and fucking spit in their face, and they'd be like, that was some strong wind. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) And that. Not to shit on you if you're skeptical. The motherfucking tea. (laughs) (laughs) But. So, uh, it happened a few more times, and then his father experienced the electrical shock for himself. In awe, he asked what the hell that was. He told told him it was the electrical shock. Dismayed, he didn't seem to agree in the shock theory. He edited out soon after. Excited for a family night after the usual Sunday affair at his parents, they arrived home to the lit-up house once more. Pretending to be unbothered, he urged everyone in, and they set up a game of Monopoly. Their family favorite. He assured them their. How the fuck? <laughs> How broken is this family that Monopoly is their fucking Their mom favorite? left them. <laughs> their only source of comfort is Boardwalk Avenue, you fucking bitch. That's where she left them. Can't. Uh, this is our Let local them enjoy some fucking Monopoly probably. in there. Fucking demonic house. <laughs> is it our local paranormal group? It is. It's paranormal task. This all becomes paranormal task force. Oh my god. Yeah, I'll get into that. They're a great group. They do a lot of great good things. Sorry, I'm making fun of your divorce. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Oh, they're gonna hate us. <laughs> beginning of the episode we'd be making fun of people who we might actually know it's in union missouri that's doesn't like, mean i know anyone in union i don't even know where to. i know where union is it's, it's past washington washington yeah missouri yes <laughs> she might be from union yeah. bitch <laughs> i'm from st louis north county yeah. Where we say zinc <laughs> instead of sink. <laughs> anyway. Uh, oh, yeah, they're excited about Monopoly. Yeah, somehow. He assured them there would be instant wins and laughs that would fill the old home. Stephen began feeling uneasy. An unknown presence lingered just out of the line of sight. Finally, it was becoming increasingly impossible to say this was all imagination. Fear grew as the figure divulged into a black mass and began to foe charge at them through the other room and Stephen's peripheral vision. It stood there, finally, its presence demanding his attention. The black mass was faceless, yet the sense it was bearing down at them was undeniable. He choked down the impulse to yeet the fuck out of there. Decided to take a more calm approach as to not frighten the kiddos to death, as he only was in the line of sight of the mass. He mustered up a cheery voice that demanded sodas and a trip to Grandma's. The young boys weren't delighted at the spontaneous summer night visit. They wanted to finish the game. (laughs) 
Lydia felt the unease lingering behind the dad's faux smile. Come on, it'll be fun, she said. It'll be fun, they said. Move into a large house that should easily be double or triple the asking price, they said. Definitely not on it. <laughs> they relented and Stephen started gathering up necessities for the trip to Grandma's. Aside from a slight shaky hand, he thought he didn't let on about the fear. He spared the kids any real knowledge of what went down. While he tried to lock the house, a booming voice came roaring out. Our house, it groaned in pure agony. He managed to finish securing the in house. In the middle of the street. <laughs> our <laughs> house. Our house. <laughs> we need to go and do a comedy show for these ghosts. <laughs> they wouldn't appreciate oh, it. Oh, that kind of punch me right in the tit. And tell me to get the fuck out. <laughs> and they would leave. That's the point. Oh, mm. no, I wouldn't even yeah. go there. I'm with fucking Carl Winters in my fucking wig, <laughs> painting my nails, saying, I told that fucking white family to not move into that fucking house. <laughs> oh, man. He managed to finish securing the house while screaming to get in the car. The voice acted as an alarm, and the neighborhood dogs howled in response to the cry. As they were skedaddling, Matthew peeped the monster glaring from upstairs. He cried out in fear and alerted everyone to its presence. This time, everyone saw the distorted clown-like creature. Ugh. The next day brought blue, clear skies and made the evening events seem silly. Stephen's parents escorted them back to pick up some more belongings. He was headed out of town for a while, and his... And the kids and him would get a much-needed break. Arrived two things banging about and a photo of Lydia that was hung resting gently on the wall against it. I thought it was going to be something real <laughs> yeah. cross. Oh, I'm relieved. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing happened. It was gently placed on the floor. Oh, thank God. Yeah. His mom tried to comfort him. She bet an animal was in the walls. Okay. Oh, well, now animal? we see where he gets his <laughs> yeah. delusion. Yeah. An animal with, you know, appreciation for family. And a clown face. <laughs> yeah. In the backyard was a shed, the last stop of their makeshift, makeshift investigation. It was filled with photos and important documents like marriage and death certificates, things people wouldn't willingly leave behind. It was time to call Mr. Carl Winters. Nervous, but he decided he asked if he knew the home was haunted. He played dumb. He suggested Stephen was the beacon for the spirits, or something like that. Are you sure he was playing <laughs> at this point? Is he not just dumb? <laughs> he explained that many tenants leave in the night, drug dealers, witches, and a myriad of personality types. Uh, what's insinuating? In his opinion... And he's a witch. In his opinion, he explained that the midnight trying out of here was just very typical. Oh. He said he was Catholic and could contact St. Louis University. They had priests there that specialized in the exorcism thing. He explained what they happened that they were the one who helped the boy from the exorcist. Oh, really? Yeah. So this was not him just like goofing? He was serious? No, he was serious. Oh he was like, God. I don't actually believe in all of it, but I'm just telling you that I told you. Everyone <laughs> said this place was haunted. And that's why I ask you, are you the type of person who can live in an old home? Oh, my God. With its consequences. And Stephen said, yeah. So he was like, I'll just fucking call a priest for you. (laughs) 
And Stephen was like, no, don't call a priest. It's fine. It's just demons. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Feeling a bit foolish, he denied the priest's intervention. Despite Mr. Winter's insistence, he didn't mind calling them. They hung up and gathered what they needed. While locking back up the front door windows, curtains pulled back. No one was there, and he finished locking up, panicked, and rushed back to the car. The week away seemed like the trick that was needed. They came back before dark, and the night was peaceful. Saturday was wonderful. Family bonding galore. Shopping, movies, dinners. They were wiped and eager for the rest, and when they returned, they all hit the hay early. He's and, a great dad. I yeah. will say that. He yeah, seems like he's a great a good dad. dad. He yeah. really... At the beginning, he said that he really had to do, like, parenting 101, because up until the moment of the divorce, I do think that she was, like, a very attentive good mom, and then for reasons unknown, she just decided she'd be a shit mom and peaced out. So he had to do what he called parenting 101 to get his shit in order to to keep up the same level that the kids were getting. Good for that effort. Yeah. So they all hit the hay early, and Stephen was asleep the moment he rolled into bed. But then came the nightmare. Here's a direct quote from his book, The Uninvited, describing the dream in his own words. It's dark. I'm standing on the basement steps. They're old, wooden, creaky, and worn. Flowered neon print wallpapers peeling off the walls of the stairway. It's barely visible in the moonlit cast of the basement windows below. I grasp the handrail and steady myself, calming my nerves. I begin my slow descent into the moonlit darkness below. The stairs seem to go on forever. With each step, I hear a familiar creak that announces my progress. I hear water running, and I am going to investigate its origin. A few steps more, and I can see a candle burning. It gives off a warm, dim glow. There's an unattended lit candle in the basement. This is only a dream, yes? Dismissing the candle from my mind, my attention turns to the sound of rushing water, and along with the water, I can hear breathing. It's the labored breathing of a man. He's excited perhaps even sexually excited. I turn back to the candlelight. The old butcher shower is running. A man stands beneath it, showering by candlelight in the darkness of the basement. The water and the breathing echo throughout the basement. The man doesn't see me. I watch as he tries to cleanse himself, purify himself of dark substance, scrubbing his already raw skin. His face is hidden by the shadows, His labored breathing becomes panicked, as does the pace of his scrubbing. He can't get clean. He turns. I can see his frontal torso in the light. It's blood. He's washing off blood. Is he looking at me? I can't tell in the dim candlelight, but I sense his evil eyes on me as he continues washing. The room begins to spin. The sound of his desperation matches the tempo of rushing water. Still the room spins. 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 I can still feel his eyes on me. I can't breathe. Oh my god. I can't breathe. Oh my god. (laughs) That was fucking good. Stephen awoke to the sound of the distant lawnmower and glanced at the clock. 5.05pm. They slept 17 hours. He felt off, but they were late to dinner. Dinner was nice and they came home with plenty of leftovers. The kids went to play. Lydia followed to read a book and Stephen settled down for some rare alone time. Not long after his dozing rest, the phone rang. His mom calling to make to check up on things and warn against Matthew binge eating the leftover chicken. While on the call, subtle rattled of the doors began. She could hear it and asked if all was well. Just the kids, he said. Oh, just the kids, he said. 
and called out to them to settle down. But the rattling grew louder. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, fuck. Oh, no. He shouted out to them again. Lydia's panicked voice answered. The boys are sleeping. She's reading. Not them. As she spoke, the temperature dropped rapidly. Stephen grew panicked. The shutting doors were cutting off easy access to the kids. Just when he was assessing the situation, a foul stench invaded his senses, and a low scream edged slowly towards a guttural one. His mother could hear the screams. He called out to his mom, begging for his parents and visiting family to come save them from the madness. He dropped the phone and bolted towards the kids. The house was alive with booming, rattling scents and screams. He felt a present keeping pace behind him, and he knew it would be wise not to look back. Focus on nabbing the kids and getting the hell out of Dodge. When he managed to get to the bedroom door, it wouldn't budge. The handle fully functional, but no easy swing. His children cried out in confusion, and he begins using his body to hit the door. Oh. He asked for help from God in opening the door. It's a little too late. Yeah. <laughs> too late to be calling on him now. <laughs> <laughs> but it did swing open Ooh. on the next tug. Michael and Matthew grabbed his hands and were gone. Lydia was in disbelief. It, it took some coaxing for her to move, but it wasn't long before they were fleeing the home for the last time as owners. Stephen's family arrived and swooped the kids. Their grandma left, and Stephen's dad, brother, and sister-in-law stayed to help grab essentials. Things seemed quiet until they acknowledged the silence. The young girl's scream began to rage on, solidifying truth to his brother and sister-in-law. They heard rapid, fragile breathing near them. Rita, the sister-in-law, urged them to hold their breath for a moment. They all did, but the breathing persisted. That was enough excitement, and his dad ushered everyone the fuck out. <laughs> Stephen knew it was time to say goodbye and called the owner. Before he could even say anything, when he called Mr. Winters, he said, I already got someone in line. You can go. Oh. He met Mr. Winters at home a few days at the home a few days later. A woman joined them and confirmed she too felt the elect, uh, electric shock ghostly presences. Mr. Winters said he had a new tenant lined up, his cousin, and assured him there was no children. Stephen was worried about children oh. being in the house, so Mr. Winters said there's no children. Mr. Winters suggested that Stephen, Stephen love a burning candles and instigated all this. No, he no, really... no. My love of a $3.03 mainstay from Walmart is not the cause of these terrible <laughs> demonic possessions. Uh, he reiterated burning candles didn't make him a practicing witch, and he wasn't inviting spirits. Master Winters wasn't so sure. <laughs> nope, you're a witch. He's a bitch. <laughs> he's a little bit bitchy, but he's definitely not a little bit witchy. <laughs> We are anti-witch here. God yes. here and Catholic. Yeah. Stephen secured a condo in a brand new duplex, completely modern and fresh. When moving day arrived, they made quick work of emptying out the house despite the subtle tricks. He decided to tell the ghost to fuck off and never bother him or his children again. <laughs> but why would they? Because they were moving and leaving, and when they were leaving, Mr. Winters was arriving to ensure all their shit was out of his house and his new victims or tenants were here. This dude's a tulpa. Upon a closer look, he noticed the couple had two small children. He tried to confront Mr. Winters, and he wasn't having it. Maybe since he was immune to the house's demonic charms, his cousin would be. So they decided to piece the fuck out of there, and... But he forgot to give them the keys. 
They were so ready to get the hell out of there, they forgot to give Mr. Winters the keys. He tracked them down to the nude condo and admired its newness. He commented he sensed Mr. Lachance wasn't capable of what it, to what it took to live in an old house. I guess Stephen's candle-burning ways led him to believe he wasn't man enough to endure demonic clowns, screaming ladies, and blood showers. He knew it better. <laughs> Hot, sexy blood shower. <laughs> I know. It was erotic. I guess he'd never seen poltergeists. But anyway, the condo was great. The kids picked rooms and it felt oddly peaceful without bitches screaming in fear all night. <laughs> Stephen thought all was well until he had the dream, the man, showering, covered in blood one. Days, weeks, months melted into years, three to be exact. Stephen was suffering from sleepless nights and, in his words, high-functioning depression. Upon some urging from his parents and family doctor, he consulted a sleep therapist who confirmed the sleep deprivation. They spoke about some options, and he asked if any of them would stop the nightmares. The doctor said with the level of sleep deprivation he had, he shouldn't even be dreaming. Ooh, ooh, that's a really bad sign. That's yeah. a bad sign. So the nightmares continued, and Stephen decided to tell people his story. He got a lot of new information about spirits and other experiences, and he took things in. He met a woman named Sheila, who asked to photograph the house. He heard it was a dog kennel now, and didn't think it would be an issue. He shared the address with her. Here's another passage from The Uninvited that talks about the moment he realized this wasn't over. One Sunday evening, late in May 2004, three years after my family and I moved out of the Union House, my phone rang. Stephen, this is Sheila. I got to the Union House about two o'clock, but I followed your directions exactly. But I got really confused when I got there. I couldn't find a dog kennel. There was a lady standing in the front yard of what I just knew had to be the house. Well, I stopped and I walked up to her, told her that I was looking for a white house in the neighborhood that I'd heard was haunted. Stephen, she looked at me and said, you must be talking about my house. My house is haunted. I thought I'd just die right there. I asked her if I could take some pictures and she said it was okay. Stephen, there are two children living in that house. One boy that I saw and the woman said something about a girl. I told her about you and I told her she... I told her where to find your story so she could read it for herself. I couldn't believe what Sheila was telling me. The house hadn't been turned into a dog kennel, which is what Mr. Winters told him it was. Oh my Mr. God. Winters stays lying. <laughs> Wig slipping. There was <laughs> Wig off, lies on. Wig backwards, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> there was a family living there. Worse, there were two children living there. Choking back my fear at the thought of the children, I asked, Did you get her name? Yes, her name is Linda, Linda Marsh. And if you get something to write with, I'll give you her phone number. She wants to talk to you, she said. Tomorrow morning would be great. Linda Marsh had a difficult life. She was thrust into an abusive relationship to survive, and through a lot of trial and error, ended up finding a man that melded with her well. They had a large, complicated family, and they needed more space. And she was thrilled when she found the house. It seemed like the answer to everything she needed. Stephen was a little afraid she might find him insane. He swelled the wor worry and called her. She was eager to share her story. It was pretty much married to his, but with a few extra details. An animal's passing, suicide calls from the house um, to the police, gutters catching fire, 
The transformer in front of the house blew up every few months. What the fuck? She had heard whispers and seen things move. She was constantly replacing light bulbs, and the most recent event had her severely worried. Her grandson said he was pushed down the stairs. Oh, no. He was pretty beat up, and he was also frightened. They decided it was best for him to live with his father. He was stunned. It was evident that the house was still active and getting worse. They went on a search to find out more. Eventually, they learned that the house in Union was built from a Sears kit sold through the company's catalog. The railroad dropped it off at its location in 1936. Here's another little excerpt from the book, The Uninvited, about the history of the land. The history of the land was far more interesting than the history of the house itself, though. In fact, the entire neighborhood had an interesting story. The land had been part of the property of an army officer, Captain John T. Cromwell, and the Union House stood right where Captain Conwell's slave quarters had been located. Another house directly across from the Union House on the next street had once been known as the Murder House. I'm sorry. What? (laughs) (laughs) The whole neighborhood was fucked, turns out. Not just their house. A woman murdered her husband there and took her own life. On another corner was a big gray house where a man had shot himself to death in front of his young son. How many shots did it fucking take? I don't know, but the book said shot himself to death. Oh. So I... Oh, the verbiage. <laughs> shot himself to death. Not more than five years ago. The nursing home on the top of the hill in the park connected to the land that had actually been an infirmary during the Civil War. After the war, it became the country poorhouse. When people died there, often from tuberculosis or another, or another horrific disease, they would be buried on the property in unmarked graves. This meant that the whole area was essentially one large, unmarked, mass gravesite. That reminds me of this lady in Ireland who, she used to, she lived in a house that used to be like an orphanage or like a baby farm. And so baby farms were just something where desperate women would, you know, rightfully desperate women would put their babies there and they'd be told, okay, well, they'll be taken care of. But really, they'd be like smothered to death or poisoned. Yeah. Yeah. And And there's massive graves of babies And this lady was like literally doing her gardening and she sifted up some soil with baby bones in it. And so rightfully, she was horrified. But like... I just cannot imagine living somewhere and just being a normal human, and then I, like, start to dig a fucking ditch for my rose bush, and then... <laughs> a six-foot some... grave for my rose bush. Yeah. And then some dead bitch underneath is like, what the fuck is up? It's like, hey, bitch, stop, bitch. Stop the bitch, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that. I just can't imagine. That thought is just, oh my god. Yeah, it's fucking creepy. So the most colorful background belonged to Captain Cromwell, an officer in the Union Army. He started the first Missouri... Mis- Missouri. <laughs> that works. He started the first Missouri militia in the Civil War and was also the town sheriff and judge. He was, a- he was busy. <laughs> he was also a dentist and a barber. He was also a third... third- <laughs> He was also a 33rd degree mason, but not what only... The fuck? <laughs> 
I don't know what that means, but that's what the book says. He's said. a fucking good-ass Mason. Yeah. 33rd degree. Mason, who not only had the respect of the town's sheriff and... Or, well, well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> he felt not, pretty good about himself. Not only had the respect of the town, but also held all the power, too. He lived on the property with the second wife, Minerva. Cromwell also heard... Also was the head of the town's moral committee. <laughs> oh, my God! Which was responsible for passing judgment on any townsmen who committed transgressions. Stories of those exploits were many. One story had him lining up 400 Confederate shoulders, so, not shoulders, soldiers, I can't speak. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, veterans, and executing them. <laughs> oh my god! God, uh, He didn't give a fuck. By the time he was done, the town was covered in a thick blanket of smoke. Six and union, blood. <laughs> yeah. Lots of blood. <laughs> six union soldiers, so, oh my god, I can't say that word today. Six union dead veterans were murdered on his land by Confederate. Confederate soldiers and retribution for mistakes made at the Battle of Pilot Knob in southeastern Missouri. No one is sure why they were brought back to Union for execution, and anyone who did know never revealed the motive. Cromwell was indeed a powerful man, a powerful man with powerful friends, and it was rumored that a tunnel system ran from somewhere on the Cromwell property to a location at the bottom of the hill. Some speculate that this might have been this might have run to the train tracks where slaves could have been shipped in for sale. It seemed that Cromwell had been part of the slave trade and the railway was used partially for this endeavor, but no written history has ever been found that could confirm this rumor. There have only been the whispers of the town's old historians who always caution that this was secret information that should not be discussed. Some thought of Cromwell might be a southern sympathizer. Wow, imagine that. Yeah, not that he actually sympathized with the South. He just hedged his bets so that no matter how the war turned out, he could continue to profit. So it's not that he really gave a shit. He was just doing it so his ass was saved no matter which way the war went. Sounds about right. That is perhaps why the Confederates brought the Union soldiers from Pilot Knob to execute them on Cromwell's land. Wow. Again, this is all speculation on part of a few of the town's old folks. Sometimes in a small town, certain things are just better left alone. Thus, Captain Cromwell's shady past remained mostly certain, mostly unstudied. Yet the tunnel system did turn out to be fact. A street crew dug it into one day, one day. A street crew dug into it one day when they were replacing some pipes. Maybe it had been weakened by the raging runoff waters of the flood years ago. Of course, the tunnel system was immediately filled in with bricks and covered back up. It remained another tidbit of information about Union and Daron Cromwell that would never be investigated. Maybe it would bring up too many questions, and they wouldn't want that to happen. Oof. That's the way it is. In small towns in the Midwest, some things are better left alone. People whispered about the Cromwell's involvement with his slaves and with voodoo. Others claim that he made a deal with the devil and sold his soul long before his death. When people in Union talked about him, it wasn't out loud or in mixed company, of course, but in whispers. The townsfolk so feared him that they only engaged in whispered uh, suppositions that Cromwell had either been in cahoots with the devil or that the devil had taken him over. 
There were other whispered rumors about a hanging that took place on the Cromwell estate. I feel like that's all giving him too much credit. Yeah. <laughs> it seemed that the captain took care of those people who stood in his way. Maybe not immediately, but eventually and always, anyone who crossed him met an untimely and probably painful death. Then there was a the story of the large Indian chief who lived on the Cromwell land for a very short time. It was Cromwell who gave the order to execute him. There were further rumors about a Cromwell friend who provided abortions to women. And the rumor whispered about, uh, and there was other rumors about the abortion given to Cromwell's wife, Minerva, when she became pregnant by a slave. Were all these rumors just a folklore of a small town when old tales like these circulate long after the events they describe? There's usually an element of truth to them. Linda's teenage daughter became very ill. She began self-harming and was in a constant state of devastating fear in the Union House. Stephen was beside himself. He asked if she wanted him to start looking for help. She was overwhelmed and desperate. Yes, she wanted help. I'll mention that she was also getting help from a doctor, so it wasn't just them looking for right. church help, but they heavily believed that Linda's daughter was acting out and cutting herself because of the extreme stress of living in a fucking demonic house. Yeah. Okay. Stephen contacted a psychic, Betty, that gave Taurus an information about Limp Mansion. Oh, yay! If you listen to our Halloween episode, you can probably see why the cursed history of the Limps resonated with the Screaming House in Union and its surrounding land. During the tour, they rarely felt anything, until they went to the attic and felt cutie boy. The poor disregarded son that had Down syndrome. They saw a white mist apparate in the attic. Unfortunately, concentration was broke when a woman flashed her light at it, and the apparition quickly left. After Stephen and Linda sat with Betty and told their stories, she told Stephen it was time to go back into the home. Before long, the night of the first investigation arrived. He arrived a bit early, and to lighten the mood, when he walked in, he said, I'm back. Monopoly time! (laughs) (laughs) Linda's husband was worried that they were about to be chin-deep in shit they couldn't handle. I don't think they disagreed. (laughs) Betty arrived with a man to help, right on the dot. Right away, she could tell things were off. When she headed up the steps, each of them felt that familiar rush of electric shock, but this time, it was like a gust of wind. Betty was pushed about three inches up, and she decided to ask the others to head back downstairs for their own safety. She didn't have to ask them twice. In fact, they were already heading down. Good. Betty came back down and told them they had came across the spirit of a man upstairs. He made it clear to her that this was his house, and he didn't like having people live there. Then Betty became even more serious when she spoke about the basement. There's a vortex in the basement where spirits can freely come and go. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) She really didn't break it to them softly. Just casual teens. Yes. It gets worse. (laughs) It gets worse. Sometimes something uh, very bad can come through these vortexes. It's possible that uh, something of this nature may have really come through, but not in a good way. It's a very powerful opening. It isn't my place to tell you to move, but... If you continue to live here, you need to try and avoid the area as much as possible. That was all she wrote. Betty left and never returned. (laughs) Bye! (laughs) There was a train of comer and goers, and they came and gathered evidence and left. (laughs) (laughs) Most people said, while terrifying, that's all it was. 
a tool of fear, nothing more. That was the answer they received and were told to accept it. They decided they needed to take things into their own hands. So a lot of investigators came in and said, yeah, there's demons, but... What can you do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's scary, but just don't let them affect you. Uh. A lot of people came in and said, your house is haunted. And she was like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> what else can you tell me? <laughs> what can you do to help me? But nobody wanted to help. They wanted to collect evidence, and then they pieced out. So here's their realization, uh, another little tidbit from the book, The Uninvited. From that moment on, things changed. We rolled up our sleeves and got down to the work of doing things ourselves, what needed to be done. At least that was the plan. First, we began to gather together people we thought could help. We found a psychic named Alex and his oh. sister. Oh! I know! A photographer named Mary. And next, we met a guy named Mark who had all the types of surveillance equipment. My friend Sheila introduced Linda and me to a sensitive named Carol. And all of them seemed dedicated to helping me find uh, Linda the right kind of help. This, I thought, was the foundation of the right type of investigation group. We called ourselves Missouri... <laughs> 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 we called ourselves Missouri Paranormal Research, MPR, now the Paranormal Task Force. Aww. We would like to, uh, we would, we would walk to our own drumbeat. We vowed to work a case until we found a way to give our clients closure, and Linda was our first client. Each person took its turn so that she was never alone in the house without someone to help. The activity was still growing. Linda and her daughter were both falling into depressive and destructive patterns. She had thoughts of harming others and self-harm. Steven spoke with her for hours, helping her work through the emotions and feelings. This place is literally going to go up like a fucking building in a Die Hard movie soon. It's going to fucking explode. Yeah. One by one, all the members of the group started succumbing to their own downfalls. The disease of the house was spreading, and tensions were at an all-time high. Alex became increasingly ill and eventually hospitalized. He was also barred from the house from his own protection, which caused hurt feelings, and eventually several members left for similar results. They decided to try the church. They found a lot more a lot more difficult than they thought to contact the church about hauntings. They did secure a meeting with the priest due to his uh, due to Linda's sincerity and severity. He agreed to come do a blessing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a little speech about this in a sec. The priest came and went within a 10-minute period, only going up a few steps and never entering the basement. He bolted pretty quickly. <laughs> I can see it so clearly in my mind's eye. So here's the thing about this. It didn't say in the book, but what I'm guessing is they just went to their local parish, went up to their local priest, and was like, my house is on it. But here's the thing. As someone who is deep into the church... He probably was fucking scared and was like, I have to bless your house. Well, I don't really want to. And in the words of, so when you go to seminary, it's not required for you to study demonic possession, exorcism, or the rites of exorcism at all. It's a choice. It's like an elective. And guess what? Shockingly, unshockingly, most priests say, no thanks. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Most of them, it's, and in the words of one of my parish priests that I worked with, he said, it's not my cup of tea. Fair enough. So, I'm guessing that's what they did. They went to a random ass priest and was like, I got demons, and the priest was like, I gotta help you. But not really. 
<laughs> but I'm not going to. <laughs> so he sprinkled water, and uh, I don't know if you uh, know. It wasn't Did actually he? holy water. He just pissed his pants. Yeah, he just peed. <laughs> shook it and ran. <laughs> Gave a little tap. Oh, my God. Yeah, so. Got out a wet wipe. Yeah. He Got pretty... his pants taken care of. When they asked him to go upstairs and bless the rooms, he sat on the top shelf. I mean, the top step. Oh, my God. <laughs> he was way up there. He was like a fucking cat. <laughs> <laughs> he stood on the top. I almost said shelf again. He stood <laughs> on the top step, took some holy water, sprinkled it up. Threw <laughs> 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 it? Yeah. <laughs> Over Sprinkled it upward it. and didn't even attempt to even try to go near the basement. He put it in like one of those fucking spray bottles <laughs> used to punish your cat. It's <laughs> like, be gone. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. And he hopped in his Toyota Corolla that the church paid for and bested out of there. <laughs> and here with the hard-hitting facts over the church. <laughs> and then he wondered why he stopped being Jewish. <laughs> I can't. I can't. <laughs> Oh, Manny. Anyway. <laughs> they decided to help themselves and do the blessing. Oh, honey, you got a big storm coming. <laughs> because they're big new paranormal investigators. First of all, they just, a priest just came in and spittled on a demon. So it's not real happy. Spittled. <laughs> spittled. In case you don't know, when you do an exorcism, it usually takes one. Because the first time, they just get riled up. So basically what that priest did was he came and got them riled up and then just oh. fucking hope you don't die out oh, of there. No. Which an, un- an inexperienced priest who was it was never required to take any kind of formal training wouldn't know that probably. And these people who were brand new investigators didn't realize that kind of shit storm that was coming for them. Oh, Jesus. So that's why I said, oh, honey, you got a big storm coming. <laughs> Rightfully so. So, they found a new couple, Trudy and Bill. They're from South St. Louis, and they came to help. Bill was well known for his ability to capture EVP, which is Electronic Voice Phenomenon. A.K.A. Ghost ASMR. (laughs) Ghost ASMR, perfect, yes. That is what EVPs are. So, this is what Stephen said about him in the book, The Uninvited. He understood how to speak to a spirit in order to elicit a response. Anyone in his vicinity in the house quickly learned to be silent when Bill walked into a room, saying, I'm holding a small gray box with the red light on it. If you were here to speak into the box with the light, I might be able to understand some of what you say. You'd like to tell me what you'd like to tell me. Bill walked into a room saying, I'm holding a small gray box with a red light on it. If you were to speak into the box with the light, I might be able to understand some of what you'd like to tell me. And when he moved his hand over the box, he had long purple nails (laughs) that he drummed against the box. And this is what the ghost said. Welcome to Life is Difficult. And then it sounded like maybe they were eating like a honeycomb or something. <laughs> All he heard was this really obnoxious wheezing laugh. <laughs> and a girl with a green mullet appeared. It's me. It's Alex. 
So he walked in and said, what is your name? And on this occasion, he got a small girl saying, the one. So it might be the one who screams. It might be why the house is called the Screaming House of Mom. Oh. Of Union Mom. He continued, is there something you'd like to tell Trudy or me? With this, a woman's voice responded. His point of view is distracted. Later, Bill found that if he reversed this EVP, the woman could be heard saying, Why don't you come and find me? Ooh. Ooh. Oh. Oh. Why don't you come up and see me sometime, handsome? Downstairs in my fruit cellar. <laughs> Downstairs in my butcher shower. I'd like to reiterate that if any of this stuff happened to us, we can laugh about it now, but we'd all be shitting our pants. Oh, no, fully. Oh, no. I would have shit myself. So this is his recount of the attempt. Yeah. Um, so he decided to do a um, an investigation to get this all to stop. So he inv- invited a local group of Christian women to join in. Oh, okay. Okay. I decided that we would try to flush out the spirits by stationing people in every room of the house. Marie and Evan were posted upstairs. I stayed in the basement with Bill and Trudy. Helen was on the main floor with some other people. Linda. I know it says Helen. <laughs> okay. But her real name is Linda. Oh. Yeah. It's a mystery. The Christian women. <laughs> Sorry, it's just this group of Christian women. The Christian women were in the backyard. Once everyone was stationed, the experiment started. One of the first things we noticed in the basement was that it got very hot. The temperature quickly rose nearly 25 degrees. Too many fucking degrees. Trudy and I also felt the presence of something evil standing in the basement with us. It was laughing at us, mocking us, and we were both touched by something unseen. When we asked if the basement monster was with us, the EVP answer was yes. While the temperature was rising in the basement, the Christian women began to feel very uneasy in the backyard. The The wind? The wind picked up. And they felt an electrical charge surge through the air. Something was going on that made them feel they weren't alone, and they went running back into the house. Later, they said it was as though something was stalking them, and then chasing them as they ran. One of the women was brave enough to pause and snap some digital photographs. We could hear their noisy entrance from our post in in the basement, and we went to see what had happened. The lady with the camera handed it to me to look. What she got on one of the photos shocked us all. On the right side of the photo, I could see an opening that seemed to flare with fire. It seemed that several entities had walked through that portal and gathered at the foot of something that was hard to make out in the fire. I could distinguish several faces, however. One of that was of an old voodoo priestess who was looking straight into the camera, seemingly angry that we were interrupting their ritual. After studying the photo for a few minutes, we could make out that they were gathered around a burning cross. Much to our horror, we realized we were looking at the image of someone being crucified on that cross. We were looking at a mockery of Christ's crucifixion. A silence fell across the room. We now had proof that this was indeed a demonic haunting. And at that moment, although we were standing in a room full of people, Linda and I had never felt more alone. So wait, how the fuck did he know it was a voodoo priestess? I don't know. I really don't. <laughs> I feel like that's projection. I do too, but you know, that's great. But Thank apparently you. there's photos of it. I forgot to look them up. 
but <laughs> we'll we'll believe them for now. For yeah. the sake of the story, yes. Um, so soon after, they made a contract with John Zaffis, a well-known demonologist and paranormal investigator. John becomes Stephen's lifeline, a quick phone call with a constant relief to the Rolodex of spooky problems. Linda's husband stood by her side, and Stephen asked how he managed, and the answer was simple. I leave them alone, and they leave me alone. And damn it, Charlie, if I don't get that. <laughs> uh, but it wasn't long after that that he seen a hooded figure sitting on the edge of the bed observing them. He wasn't sure how to go about it after that. Linda describes her experience that same night. She woke up to find Charlie terrified and speechless. She had experience of her own. I went back to sleep after talking with Charlie a while, trying to help him make sense of what he'd seen. I guess I'd been asleep for about an hour. I heard it at first, a low, deep growling. I opened my eyes near the bedroom window. I could make out an animal. It was wolf-like. However, it was no animal I'd ever seen before. It just sat there growling. Then it opened its eyes. They were strange, shade of yellow, and glowed. And from the corner of the room, I heard a voice and saw a shadowy figure shoot across to the front of the bed. I could clearly hear it moving. And then in a very low, very demonic voice, it said, they were really there because they left behind... Wait. Oh. <laughs> I could clearly hear it moving. And then in a very low, demonic voice, it said, I'm here. And then the wolf and the figure were both gone just that quickly. I knew they were really there because they left behind a foul odor that nearly gagged me. I got up to use the bathroom and splashed some water on my face. On the way, I saw that Kelly, the daughter, was standing on the stairs. She wasn't moving. She was just staring at me. I asked what she was doing up and she said nothing. She assured me that everything was fine. I said okay and told her to go back to bed. I didn't sleep any more that night. It was 3.15 in the morning and I was wide awake. The attacks by the hooded figure became greater and the assaults were traumatizing to Linda. Stephen con contacted the good friend John and he said it was time to contact a priest who actually specializes in the ability to exercise demons. Probably a good idea at this point. Yeah. So, uh, things got really bad. Oh. Before they were able to contact the priest fully, Linda became extremely hostile. She hurt her husband and her daughter and others uh, involved. They all got help, and after receiving the care they needed, they left the house for good. It was just no longer an option to stay there. Yeah. They had found the priest um, to help them and end the cycle at the house in Union. Father Paul came highly recommended. Linda was looking and feeling better than she had in years. After listening to them carefully, Father explained that the house and the land surrounding it were the problem. Many bad things happened there, and those events had opened the door to the demonic. Linda continued to have bad lapses of what assumed to be demonic possession, but her lowest a confrontation accidental intervention with her daughter made her realize she wasn't herself. It took many hours of therapy with Dr. Smith and many sessions with Father Paul to get Helen back to a good place. Hours of advice from and talk with John Zaffis helped Stephen heal from the trauma as well. The road was never easy, but Linda healed and created a huge force in the paranormal through her strife. A lot of people and families were helped because of that place. She kept up a good fight until her passing in December of 2013. Aww. 
I'll end it with a warning that I found on the site for the Screaming House. A word of caution, it's important to keep in mind that the Roman Catholic Church has deemed the Union-Missouri haunting a classic case of demonic infestation, oppression, obsession, and possession, and a 156-page document. Famed investigator and psychic Lorraine Warren was the first to classify this haunting as demonic. John Zaffis, the haunted collector, also classified the haunting along the lines of demonic. The list goes on and on. Please do not take the chance with your well-being and the well-being of your family and try to search out the location of this home. It can and has been dangerous for some people who have been exposed to it. This haunting at all times can ruin lives and also the lie at times it's believed to have been deadly. This is not a location to be taken lightly. Do not seek out this location. It's no doubt bad for the health. Usually that's a pretty good sign. Of don't fucking go there. Yeah. Wow. Holy shit. So. And you all might not know this, but the church is very, very, very reluctant to name things haunted, name things possessed or people possessed. Um, it's just not something that they do or take lightly anymore. It's incredibly difficult to garner even a meeting with the secured exorcist. However, St. Louis does have one of the only, because we're an archdiocese, Yeah, we do have a, um, a, a very popular and renowned exorcist. And I don't, I think they use fake names in the book, so I'm not sure if Father, was it Peter, was the, our state exorcist, because there are other exorcists here, but um, we do have a um, Vatican certified exorcist here. Wow, oh. That's a that's a big one. Yeah. That was really wild. I have never heard of that particular mm-hmm. case. Me either. Wow. That was yeah. good. I love that. One. That was Oops. so interesting. Yeah. I was living for Mr. Winters. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Winters was a I want to know. Is he still alive? Or is he dead? Like I want to see a picture of him. Yeah. Because what I'm picturing is fabulous. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if it was more so fabulous or more so creepy. Dementia. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. I'm just imagining a lot of pink. Yeah. I left out a lot. There's a lot of stuff that is maybe more so better read than talked about on the podcast. Understandable. Um. So there's a lot into it. I didn't leave everything it's like it's not a very long book it's like over 200 pages and i skimmed through the whole book to write my podcast in like less than two hours so so what's it called it's called the uninvited by Stephen lachance okay cool yeah that's good to know now yeah. i need to buy it or borrow it from you i have it on my um computer oh okay cool so, well i love that i yeah. think that just like the whole introduction to the house of like, oh, new families moving into this house and it's full of demons. You know, it reminds me of the show, uh, like a haunting or whatever. Yes. Yeah. So before I read, I because originally I was just reading articles when I started this, and I was watching a haunting. They changed the name instead of the Screaming House of Union. It's called Fear House. <laughs> 
Sorry. I like the Screaming House of Union better. I do too. But um, it's like, I think it's season three, episode one. You can find it on Daily Motion. Oh, well, all right. So, Fucking looking it up. It's good. But it's like 40 minutes. Uh, so, like, the first part where about Steven's family is like 10 minutes. Oh. And the rest is all about Linda, which makes sense because that yeah. was kind of my story. Yeah. But there's a lot more in depth about Steven and his dreams and the, the situation that he dealt with in that house, the fear, um, a lot of his words explaining, a lot of his backstory that made everything else, like, more difficult. I want to know more about the shower masturbator ghost. (laughs) Yeah, I want to know who these cast of ghosts is. Yeah, like, very 13 ghosts sort of energy happening here. Oh, yeah. You know, they never, from what I was reading... They never go into detail about who the ghost in the shower is. Oh, just some jerk off. Yeah. <laughs> and a fruit seller whacking it. But yeah. is the shower ghost different from the monster in the basement? I think so, yeah. Oh, okay. They yeah. just share the same domain. I think it's just the man that Steven sees a lot, and he refers to it as the man. Yeah. I think okay. it's just the man. Well, you know it's a significant player if they can get away with a name that is literally just, like, the man. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So. No, I love that. Like I said, very 13 ghosts, very black Zodiac. We had Screaming Girl, Baby and Tree. <laughs> tree Baby. Clown. <laughs> yes. Werewolf. Carl Winters. <laughs> Probably. He's part of the black Zodiac. Which of the ghosts from 13 Ghosts did you like the most? Wasn't mine was the angry princess. I was for gonna sure. say it was probably the angry yeah. princess. That's because you're gay though. Yeah. <laughs> See, I I could you know also because I I'm gay, but also because I relate to that. I also really She's liked. Gorgeous. Um, was it Jackal? The Jackal. Yeah. yeah. You know they have some really great designs. I don't think there's a single ghost in there that I don't like. Cagehead McRapist man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for real. They're all like great and creepy yeah and i feel like these ghosts in screaming house i feel like we should name all of them <laughs> <just> for <laughs> them for them we should create a new black zodiac <laughs> we yeah so there was never really a resolution to this like they didn't exercise the shit it just kind of i think they rule the roost still linda it was affecting her too bad yeah. and so the focus instead of fixing the house turned to Fixing Linda because she attempted to kill her husband. Oh, well, you know, you might But want is to get the to house that. still, like, standing? Yes. And I'm pretty sure Paranormal Task Force still does investigations and keeps up with it. And Carl Winters still needs to rent it out, so and whenever Carl he Win- comes Carl around. Carl Winters <laughs> needs wig money. He has, like. So if you're in the need he for needs, a three bedroom yeah. house with a mudroom and a butcher shower that you could also shower fruit in or. Yeah. Use a dildo in. Yeah. Call him up. See, I feel like if he he's just still needs alive. new tapins. <laughs> so he just needs his new tapins. I feel like if you go anywhere and you see a guy with like Jeffree Star tapins, <laughs> like the split tone, and he twirls when he's showing you the entrance of the house, and he also has a Groucho Marx mustache on because he doesn't want anyone to recognize him. Yeah, it's so in the book, I can't remember if I went into it, but. 
in the book, they talk about, um, Linda talks about, and Stephen talks about how he gave this super flashy oh. walkthrough of the house when they first went and looked at it. It was like a grand history tour. I love of that. this place. <laughs> I love that. Well, maybe that was him trying to ease the guilt of throwing yeah. these poor people to the wolves. Yeah. Yeah. He's... I don't know if he feels too much of that. No. Well, he put his own fucking cousin in there after they... Yeah. He's just counting his money. <laughs> He's like, have fun, bitch. <laughs> he said he'd never really experienced anything in there. Just well, other there. people experienced it. Only straight people, I guess. Yep. <laughs> Pretty much. Only the heteros. Yeah. Well, he had, I think he had a wife. I was trying to understand it, but mm-hmm. I thought it was Whatever. just... Whatever. You know, I said, like, the lady no, came no. in, and no. she was like, oh, I feel the ghost, too. Her name was Lillian in the book. I'm assuming that's not her name, but Lillian, just as eccentric as Mr. Winters, and she felt the electric charge, too. I bet that was the most she'd felt in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was really excited about it. <laughs> Oh my god. Well, that ghost is named Hitachi. <laughs> Magic wand. <laughs> yeah. Oh my Electric god. Electric shock. I still think that the group of, the school of Christian women. It was actually just us house. three yeah. standing in the backyard. Disguised, we all have like Nancy Grace wigs on. Uh, yeah. And I have a shirt that says like, um, rosé all day on it. <laughs> Right. Well, thank you so much for that, Anne. That was so cool. It was cool. really cool. Thanks. I love it. So how was everyone's week since we need to wind down a little bit? It was good. Bri- are you fucking serious? <laughs> Don't-, <laughs> Don't lie to me, babe. <laughs> it was fine. <laughs> I believe you've it just gets progressively worse as she asks her. Yes. It was something. It sure happened. Yeah. I just watched Star Wars on Disney Plus all week. Oh, well, that's okay. That's yeah. fine. That's good. I, I, we still don't have Disney Plus. Damn. I know. I'm not upset about it, though. It's actually pretty good. But I don't like Disney. Mm. Oh. Yeah. Corey loves Disney, though. Bear Man loves Disney. So, I have to get it for him for Christmas or something. Yeah, it's, it's worth like it. It's only like six bucks a month. Oh, God, I don't know if I could spare the change. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have Hulu? Yes. You can um, bundle it with Hulu for $12. Yeah, I'll have to do that then. Well, that'll be worth it. What about you? You were having a rough time. Yeah, it was a bad week. Very bad week. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I just, it happens. Like, you can't expect every week to be great. Oh, no. So, I'm like, it'll get better. Can't get much worse. Yeah. Well, your week has consistently been better than... The people in the screaming yeah. house. Yeah, I haven't yeah. had nightmares. I'm just sleep deprived and depressed on my own accord. <laughs> you have a lot of agency in that regard. And I mean, that's good. And how about you? My week has been kind of hectic. I've been finishing a lot of assignments. We're wrapping up the semester. Oh yeah, midterms coming up. Uh, end. End of semesters mm-hmm. coming up. Final finals and final oh, projects. Yeah, and then um, I just got a whole lot done, and I started my new job, so that was actually a lot of fun. I'm surprised. Good. I like everyone I work with. 
everyone who's come in, like, no one's bitched at me yet, which, thank the Lord, I don't need anyone bitching at me at this point. Um, like, customer-wise, like, I don't care if a manager does it, because it just means I need to do something better. Like, I don't take it personally ever. Um, so I don't know. I've, I really have been enjoying work. It's been rewarding already. Good. Um, so yeah. It's a good company. If you have good managers, it's great. Yeah, it is. And I get to do stuff I love. Like, I get to help people with makeup. So, yeah. So it was pretty good. I've been, like, exhausted, but, you know. That's to be expected. Yes. Yeah. Retail us if you haven't worked retail in a while and you go back to retail. Oh, it's so exhausting. Literally, I I was like limping around because my dumb ass needs more comfortable shoes. Yeah. Well, yeah. The day I see Alex in a sensible pump is the day that I just <laughs> say. Ah, I wore cowboy boots to work. Black pointy toed steel toed cowboy boots. I know it was a look. You looked it amazing. Was, thank you so much. You're welcome. I appreciate it. And I threw my bra off the moment I got in here, so that's all. I've had it off all day. <laughs> we all need to match around here. We have a uniform. It's true. <laughs> Braless. Look shit. Yeah. Yes, please. Don't be distracted. Anne has a stain on her top. I do. Uh, Some indeterminate white origin. (laughs) My hair is just a matted mess, and Alex looks fine. (laughs) God, for once. I know. All right. Oh, well. What was your good thing then? We didn't do our good things. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, what's a fun thing that you heard about, happened, read about? So, my good thing is I am just, like, so overwhelmed with, like, how much love we've gotten, like, on our Facebook page and stuff. Oh, yes. So nice of all of our friends and family to, like, go out of their way to, like, show support for us and um, anyone else who's not a friend or family who's out there supporting us. It's It means, like, so much. Like, just to see how it's, like, grown by, like, what like 60k percent oh like it's yes. like an incredible amount of percent of like interactions we've gotten and people liking our page and um it just like it really meant a lot to me just like seeing people come out in drones and support us it yeah. was super great so yeah i love it that made me so happy like i was texting Fairman all about it i was like 60 people like our page and I they know. don't even know me know. <laughs> and now it's wonderful. almost up to 100 Oh, I know. Yeah. So it's I'm growing shook. rapidly. When I saw like people who knew Barry, uh, my Mola five dollar ad. Yes. Oh. On Facebook helps. Yeah. <laughs> I loved that. <laughs> so thank you to all those who know us, don't know us, who heard about us, just coming and checking us out and living life. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I've also just been playing the new Pokemon game. Is which, it cute? Yeah, it's oh. really nice. It's been a good break from... Sword or shield? I got sword. Okay. Okay, but funny story. Oh! So I wanted shield, but when I went to Target, the girl... I pointed to, like, the case and was like, can I get this one? My stupid bitch ass didn't realize I got sword until I had put it in the into oh, my no! Switch and loaded it up and it said Pokemon Sword and I went... I literally can't believe how blindly I bought that. I'm glad I did because, uh... It seems adorable. Yeah, I like the Pokemon better in the sword version, the one on the cover. 
Okay. But it had the new ponyta in it, which oh, is like yeah. pastel, but that was in Shield, so that's why I originally wanted that one. Yeah. But it's all good. I already got that bitch. Okay, good. You got it. From someone else. That's so. awesome. So what was something fun that you heard about, happened, read about, watched, etc.? I started watching a really old show. Well, not super old. It's like 2000 and... Oh, I don't know. I'm just gonna not say the year. <laughs> <laughs> old. Cha-cha old. <laughs> and I heard people talk about it. Um, but I, like, am starting to reinvigorate my love for Star Wars. And the animated series um, I always heard people talk about, Rebels. So I started watching that. And I watched, like, a lot in one night. Oh, my gosh. And it just really made me feel better. And it made me feel nostalgic about, like, childhood and shit I enjoyed. Oh, that's wonderful. That's sweet. Yeah. Nothing like seeing the journey between a Jedi and his young Padawan. (laughs) Adorable. It's really cute. I, so, okay. I'm constantly going on to the Reddit Florida Man. So, (laughs) r slash Florida Man. And there's just so many, like, wonderful articles to peruse if I have, like, a shitty day. And so this one really <laughs> killed me. And it's called, it's from Brevard Times, which I'm assuming is, like, some fucking place. Um, <laughs> so this is the article. Florida man arrested for armed robbery wears exfoliating mask. <laughs> <laughs> Osprey, Florida. A Florida man was wearing an exfoliating mask when Sarasota County Sheriff's... I'm pulling an Ann. (laughs) When Sarasota County Sheriff's deputies arrested him for armed robbery on Friday, deputies responded to a retail store in the 13,000 block of blah blah blah. The victim witnessed a male suspect leaving the store through an emergency exit with a cart full of merchandise. When confronted, the suspect pulled the victim at gunpoint and loaded the stolen merchandise into a car behind the business, driven by a young female. So, fingerprints recovered at the scene led detectives to identifying 23-year-old Trenton Richardson as the (laughs) male suspect. And they... (laughs) There's no shame in his game, so there's no shame in ours. Deputies interrupted 23-year-old Trenton Richardson early in the morning, who was apparently exfoliating... (laughs) So he was getting his mask on, and there's just this photo of him concerned, looking soulfully into the camera with this beautiful, like, green exfoliating mask all over his fucking face. I just thought to myself, that's how I'm going to get arrested someday. (laughs) So I loved it, and it made me happy. That's great. Yeah. That's funny. I loved it. It was fun. And I guess that's it. Yeah, that's the fucking show, people. Yeah, that's it. I'm going to go die in my haunted house. (laughs) (laughs) So just remember, guys, that no matter how difficult life gets, we'll always be here for you. Good night. We're trapped in the screaming house. That's why we can't help anywhere else. I'm in the shower. (laughs) If you're single and ready to mingle, come on down. I'm a good Christian lady in the backyard. (laughs) Alex is the dead baby. I am. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.